this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, my co-host Richard Stamen is going to give us some insight on some of his scouting travels because here at Locked On NBA Big Board, we actually attend games and scout live, not just behind the computer screen. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and my co-host, Richard Stamen, Mr. Mavs Draft who is known for posting video clips and breakdowns all over social media. We both took trips over the past week. Richard went to Miami, and I went to a place that's not as nice as Miami, but I went to Salt Lake, and I went to cover basketball at borders, so I can talk a little bit about some of my experiences some and some of the players that I saw live. But Miami's a little bit more exciting than Salt Lake, so we'll, we'll start off with that. So... Richard, man, how was how was Miami? And uh, are you are you glad to be back, or, or do you wish you were still in the Sunshine State? <laughs> I get I get homesick. You know, I'm from Orlando originally, so like it's not my home oh, area, okay. but like I am from Florida, so like I get homesick. I guess not being there, but like it's been 20 years since I lived there. But I also don't like being away from home that long, so I'm kind of happy to be home. But at the same time, like it was it was an awesome experience. Uh, got there an hour early. Uh, it was it was just great. Got to see a lot of different uh, looks. There were some new guys that I had never paid attention to that when you see them in person, it just shapes. It's a whole different thing. Like you can watch somebody in a highlight video, but it just doesn't have the same magnitude as watching somebody in person and just seeing every little detail just up close and in high definition, you know? Yeah. All right. What is your scouting philosophy when you when you scout guys or scout games live? Do you have like a certain format that you like to follow? Yeah, I mean, for me first, I like to I heavily focus on the warmups, right? I, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, some previous examples for me is just Devontae Graham, for example. He had when he came through TCU back in 2018, he was actually the first game I ever went to see credentialed scouting in person. Um, he would do this, this thing where he would take like 10, 20 warm-up threes from about the low, like almost half court. And it was just ridiculous range. He made well over half of them. And to even hit 50% from where he was shooting, I mean, it was almost 40 footers at that point. Like I, I hold value in that. I think that does show true range, true shooting ability. Um, I like to see the warmups, see their raw athleticism because they always do the layup lines and they're all doing dunks uh, in the TCU game. I'll talk a little bit about that coming up, but uh, beyond that, I really like fo focusing and toning in on one guy, especially at, at a time. I think you can see more easily the camera angles just don't show what guys are doing off ball, both on offense and defense, you can more easily focus in on that kind of stuff. It just shows the game in a much different angle and a lot more concisely, I think. Yeah, I like scouting. I like scouting live. Um, definitely try to get there at least two hours early, especially for NBA games. Even though I'm not necessarily scouting guys for NBA games, it's more so of seeing like, all right, this is the positional size that college guys are going to have to to have in order to for the most part succeed 
my favorite guy to watch workout live. And I tell people all the time, if you want to see a great workout, go to a game early and watch Giannis workout. It's literally the same thing that he does. I haven't, or the same thing he does in a game. Um, <laughs> two guys pounded him with, with the pad and he's attacking the rim and taking these long Euro steps and, and dunking and guys are just hanging all over him. I haven't seen Kyrie workout yet. I've heard his workout is pretty good, but you have to get there. They say at least three hours early to watch Kyrie. Um, when the Mavs played the Timberwolves a few, I guess it was last week when Kyrie made his debut. I got to the arena. It was a 7.30 tip-off. I got to the arena 5.30, and I had already missed it. And they say he was there working out at 4. <laughs> so, uh, and then, like, I know, like, Steph Curry, 75 minutes until tip-off. That's when he comes out. So that's always fun to watch for me. As far as college guys, it's more so from a scouting guy, and you can see, like, maybe some things that you won't see in the game. Like, if it's a big, you may see him knocking down elbow jumpers or short corner jumpers that you would never see in the game. And there are a few guys that, um, for example, your guy, TJD, Trace Jackson Davis, I would love to see him work out because I, and I've said it before, I think that he probably has a little bit more range than he shows but he's so dominant on the college level he doesn't have to show it so it's kind of like a long a long-winded answer all right before we even i don't know i should have even asked you like what game did you see i know you're in miami so i'm sure it's isaiah wong but who did miami play yeah i know i know you're absolutely shocked we're at you the counter is now at what three straight episodes i think of saying isaiah wong's name uh, we went we went one episode but yeah so it was miami versus wake force wake force is on the bubble i thought it was a good game just to see, you know, I thought the guard matchup was good. I thought Tyree Appleby versus Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack uh, would be good. Unfortunately, yeah, actually, Tyree Appleby probably played the worst game of his career. He had 12 turnovers, but 12? it was a really... What? 12? Like 10 plus 2? Plus 2, yeah. He had, I think, 7 at half. It was it was a really rough game. And honestly, I feel bad for him. Um, it, was, it definitely affected him, but Isaiah Wong looked really good. It was something... I, I think had, you know, on TV, it may have shown it too, but he had 13 or not 13 points. I think he had six straight makes or something. It might've been 13 in like two minutes. It was an absurd run by him. He was all three levels of scoring. He hit a couple threes. One was an and one. He hit a mid range. That was an and one all. So obviously over contest. And then he got to the rim absolutely with ease. And his, his hesitation is just second to none. I think he's got the best hezzy in the class, which for a while, I actually thought Gigi Jackson had that. But Isaiah's head fake just is unreal. He he puts a defender in the air every single time he goes to the basket. Personally, I've been saying for years, he's the best space creator in the country. Easily. It, that The in-person, the eye checks it out. It checks out for the eye test. Now, were you, you say you like to focus on, on one guy. Was there other guys that happened to catch your attention that you think are potential NBA prospects, despite not being the main focus of your attention? Yeah, there was somebody there who I I had heard his name and I thought his name was Bobby, which I was like, all right, like this guy's going to get my attention automatically, you know, with Boban Marjanovic. But and that's not how you say his name. He's the 6'10 forward from Sweden through and then he went to Sunrise Christian. Uh, where, I think where Grady Dick played and and he's a, his name's Bobby Clintman mm -hmm. and 610 6'9. I think he might be closer to 6'9 personally. It's hard for me as a 5'10 guy to tell him the difference, but but I do think you know, standing next to a seven-footer, there's a notable gap. 
regardless, a 6'9", 6'10", shooter, his shot is pure. It is a well-advanced mechanically shot. He can hit it, I think, standing still at an, an elite level one day. At that height, that's always going to catch your attention. So he was somebody who stood out last, like, kind of just, I was like, wait, who is this guy? After seeing him rain multiple threes. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his raw numbers, he's averaging, like, four points a game. Doesn't really stand out. I know he's shooting a, a good percentage from three. And it's always cool to to see, like, one, to trust your gut. And, oh, my gosh, his name is, is escaping me right now. But a couple of years ago, I was going to Creighton games, and I was scouting Creighton live. I was checking out Kyrie Thomas, and they played DePaul and um, Max Struess. So I wasn't paying attention to Max, and I just kept saying, like, man, this guy is good. And I had mentioned it in a, on a podcast probably earlier this summer that I didn't trust my gut, right? I started paying attention to him. I saw he could shoot. I saw all the things that he did well. And then I went back and looked at this, looked at different draft boards, and nobody was talking about him. So I said, you know what? I must be seeing something that that nobody else is seeing. But more so, looked at it like, nah, maybe I'm I'm wrong, and the consensus is right. But I saw Max Drews. I thought he was an NBA player based off of watching DePaul play. But I didn't have the confidence to put it out there. And I just thought, okay, you know what, maybe, you know, he's too slow. I just started, like, thinking of reasons why he was not on different draft boards. And I ended up – if I would have trusted my gut, I should say, I, I would have been right. I mean, he is – a more successful NBA player than everybody that I had went the scout that day. And really probably in the whole conference because I was in Omaha at the time and I was got a lot of the big East guys. So, you know, you're talking about Marcus Foster guys that were sexier names in the draft community and Max Drews's playing. So Clintman is someone that, that I like long-term uh, but the other guy that I like on, on Wake Forest is uh, the, the kid, the shooter, uh, Mont, Montsano. I don't know how he played that game. I mean, I was in Salt Lake, so, so I didn't really see the box scores. Real quick on him, I think he's got a nice shot, in the size and athleticism. Like, he has those three boxes checked. Is uh, this Clintman or, or Montsano? Montsano. Okay. So, for him, he got in foul trouble and – I'll just be kind of blunt. I think he was very, he played a little bit too much with his emotions and it like really showed on court. There were a lot of things where the coaches were telling him not to do something and he just did it anyways. Uh, I was a little bit, the, the tools are nice, but I don't know, you know, how that translates. And that is why live scouting is important because you would never know if someone was not doing what the coach told them to do if you're just watching on TV. When we return, we'll talk about more of our live scouting adventures. But let's talk about FanDuel because we are a day away. Actually, today, when you're hearing this, it'll be the start of the second half of the NBA season, which is the perfect time to download FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. Because if you are a new customer, you get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it is secure, and it is easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to the point scores and threes drained. And FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So do not miss your chance to get your first bet or no sweat first bet 
up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That is fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Right, once again, you are listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Richard Stamen is sharing his, his details from his, from his scouting trip. So let's get back to Isaiah Wong. I know you've been high on him. You've been driving the Isaiah Wong train for three years. Now, is he is he a junior or a senior? Fourth-year junior. Fourth-year junior. So he used the the COVID year for another year of eligibility. If you had to bet, if you were a betting man, and maybe this should be on FanDuel soon, guys <laughs> staying or coming out, do you think that he is going to come out this year or do you think that he's going to to return to school for another year? Because I personally don't know if another year helps him draft-wise. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat, you know, he's in a really tough situation. He can't even test the waters. It's if he declares he's in because he's already declared twice. Um, so he's just already in a do or die situation on, in terms of if you're going to the league or you're not this year, I'm with you. I think an extra year doesn't, unless like, unless he's the ACC player of the year, which is always tough because you're with Duke and North Carolina who are elite at recruiting too. And, and like Isaiah Wong hasn't had any respect from the ACC voters. So it's going to be a really hard battle. I think it depends on March Madness. If they are a first weekend exit somehow, which I personally don't think they will be, I think that you might see him back. If they make it to the Elite Eight again, I think I think he departs. All right. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting because even if he wins ACC Player of the Year, I mean, Alonis Williams won last year and he didn't get drafted. And so I think maybe they held his age against him. Because I think he was 22 and, and maybe 23 around draft time. I mean, there's usually really no rhyme or reason. And how often is a guy that wins ACC Player of the Year not get drafted? So I don't even know if that – I mean, the only thing I can think of is if he comes back to school next year and he shoots like 45% on catch-and-shoot opportunities. <laughs> that would probably be the only thing that would like – boost his draft stock because that's kind of like been the knock on him and he's improved that shot i mean this year like i mean he's shooting 38 and a half percent from three right now the free throw percentage is above 83 percent catch and shoot he's at 39 percent on the year like he's already doing it and he's maintaining the volume he's playing a really good role like the thing for him is he's got to shoot outside of the corners right now it's just corner shooting is in top of the key like he's not doing it at the elbows and that's where it's really going to be, hey, you got to shoot at these spots. And if you can, you can score any zone. Like, that. that's a massive jump, I think, as a jump shooter. I think that, at this point, is now the next step. I fully buy the shot. Like, he's improved the dip. I saw it last year in May. I saw him working on it. It's really translated to game. He has the shooting touch. I'm actually not worried about the shot nearly as much as anyone else. Like, because he did everything that was asked of him. He improved the percentages. He lowered – or he reduced the dip and – He's been efficient because of it. And that's what makes scouting weird is that you can have a player do everything that you ask of them. But then it's like if you have too many games or too much game film, people are kind of like stuck in in, in their ways. I'm trying to think of a guy. um, It was somebody that came to mind last year that did everything that you wanted him to do, and it did not improve his draft stock. Uh, I can't think of it. 
I mean, maybe, all right, here's one that comes to mind. Caleb Love had a terrible freshman year, comes back as a sophomore, improves the numbers, comes back this year, and I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Carolina's been bad, but I don't think that he's he's helped his draft stock at all, at all this year. And that's probably a bad example. But there's somebody from last year that well, I can't think of. I there's a couple of names, but Caleb Caleb Love has improved his two point percentage by almost ten percent. That was a big knock on him. But there was somebody I just had it too. Um, there was I know Scotty Pippen Jr. Was that maybe it? He was somebody who I mean he did everything that was asked of him, um, and it didn't really do much. I I feel like being an upperclassman doing it is tough, right? Like that's you just have such a short leash with the NBA. They just, they're too difficult. Like it, it's too, you know, the average age is what, 24 years old. Yeah. And if you're a 22, 23 year old, you have one year. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the next game you went to. You went to another, another game that you scouted live. Yeah. So I went to Kansas at TCU. That was crazy because there were 32. That's only listed. I I'd heard there was more. There were 32 NBA key figures, scouts. I don't think all of them were scouts. I think there was at least one decision maker in the building. But I'd never seen a, a press. The So when I go to TCU, they have the little sheets that say, all right, here's the seating chart in the media. And, it, and there was an entire section next to us that was just devoted to media, which I've never seen before. And this is a sold-out game. It was crazy, though. Grady Dick was far and away the best player in this game. Um, I will say there was... You know, I'm not big on Kevin McCuller because the stats on offense are just too rough, I think, to be something that he translates. And he's not big enough to do the same role he does in college. He's only like 6'6", but he is a lockdown defender. He ate Mike Miles' lunch, unfortunately. I thought Mike Miles was really going to respond to the pressure of that game. It was on ESPN, sold out with scouts. I mean, sold out in general. I thought there was going to be some magic there with him versus Grady Dick, but Grady Dick in the first half just showed out I mean he was far and away the best player Kevin McCuller on defense just did not make a single mistake those two guys really stood out for me yeah I have McCuller getting drafted on my my last few mock drafts um, I think that he is going to help a team I think if he falls into the right situation like a Milwaukee or a Boston or one of those teams he can come in off the bench and he does so many things well on the defensive end. But I think his size and versatility helps because he, I mean, he's not going to be your primary ball handler, but he can play the point if you need him to. The shooting is always going to be the question mark. Shooting, shooting, shooting. That is going to be what determines his his NBA future. But he does have a skill set to hang his hat on. I think he can defend one through three. He is an excellent rebounder for a guard, but again, it's going to fall back onto the shooting and he's going to have to end up in like a, I mean, I don't want to say it's like, it's rare, but he's going to have to end up in like an ideal situation. I don't know if you put him on a bad team, like Houston or a Detroit or Charlotte or San Antonio, and you get the best out of him. But if you have him on a, a good team, and he has a role coming off the bench as as a defender. I think he can help a team right away. And because he's a little older, then you know what you're getting. Like you can throw him in a playoff game 
defensively and, and be able to like to make some plays on the defensive end. But it's all going to boil down to his outside shot. I had a chance to watch him work out last year. And um, I mean, the shot is, it's not broken. The form is a little bit different, but I, I do think that he can at least become a respectable shooter from, from NBA range, especially in the corners. Now, how did Mike Miles play overall besides the fact that he uh, was being defended by McCullough, who was arguably the best wing defender, at least top two or three. I mean, I think of Reese Beacom, Hayson Wallace, McCullough, those guys are in that range. And also is Miles, did he look like he was having any setbacks or, or you know, is he still like recovering from his injury? No, I think he looked healthy um, and agree. I mean, Kevin McCullough, the two best defenders in the Big 12 were in that game. It's him or Micah Peavy. And Kevin McCuller was face guarding. I mean, they, the whole team was face guarding Mike Miles and, you know, stuff like that. I still think getting 14 shots off was impressive. What hurt him the most was I'd say four or five even shots were at the rim that he was really trying to get a foul call. And in most games, he'll get those foul calls. But this one, he just wasn't. And I think that really got in his head a little bit. He was trying a little bit too hard at times. Really, the whole TCU team, this isn't just him to draw some fouls, but the refs were swallowing their whistles. And I think he was on, it was unexpected. Like this is a guy who's averaging what six, seven free throws a game. And he only got, I think two or four, something like that. So there were, there were times when he got space, he still, or like when he wasn't being absolutely hounded, he looked good. The four makes he had every single one of them was a real flash. He had a nasty between the legs, um, step back three pointer from it, even deep for NBA range. He had some good off ball movements, driving in with both hands. I was really impressed with him uh, on that end, and I think, I think overall he still that game doesn't scare me. Like I remember in 2019, Desmond Bain got absolutely face guarded by Jonah Matthews, if you remember him, one of the best defenders from the Pac-12 in that year, and Desmond was gassed by. It. I mean, he was thrown off. He wasn't expecting it. He was the best player on the team. The next few games, I mean, he just lit it up from three on ball. Hopefully, I think the big test for Mike is will he do the same thing? If he does a big that's a big takeaway all right when we return i want to ask a few more questions about some of the the kansas players in the game not kevin mccullough stay tuned all right last segment so i wanted to ask you about jalen wilson and grady dick did this game change how you evaluate or how you feel about them as far as like their their nba potential like did it make you higher or lower or or were you the same after the game I, I think I was the same because I've always been a little bit lower on Jalen Williams. Uh, I'm sorry, not Jalen Williams. I'm sorry. I'm so used to so many of those from Oklahoma City. Yeah. Uh, and it's close to Kansas. Jalen Wilson. I've always been a little bit low on him. I was actually talking to somebody who had played him in high school uh, right before I went to the game. And he was telling me the same things. Like, if you take away his right hand, it's always been this way. He's just a lot more limited on ball. And that was the case in this game. I mean, he went, I want to say two of nine, two of 10, something like that. And he had two air balls. He was really forcing it. The shot, it has a long dip. Uh, we talk about guys like we talked about Isaiah Wong having that dip. Jalen Williams is worse. Uh, granted, he's 6'8", so we can make up for it a little bit more. But the shooting scares me a little bit. I don't know how real it is. And also just, I mean, he is completely right-hand dominant. If you make him go left... He can dribble left, but he's just slower. I mean, Fran Frischella said it on a broadcast once. If you just make him go left, he's 60% of the speed he is at the right. Because going right, he's unstoppable at 6'8", being fast. Left hand, it's not the case. 
he was forcing a lot. He was a bit of a black hole. I wasn't a big fan of what I saw. Um, whereas Grady Dick, it just kind of reaffirmed everything I said. I mean, the feel for the game, the the scout, the media section where all the scouts were. I mean, every time the first 10 minutes, Grady Dick controlled the game with his intangibles. I've never seen anything like it. Followed every shot, made the right movement on both ends, was just playing it at the most fundamental level I've ever seen. And he was creating points while doing it. It wasn't just like, oh, that was nice. It was fully a very winning style. And I see it translating up to the NBA. What about his positional size? Like, was he as his legit six eight? And, And let's not kid ourselves. He's a good athlete. I think a lot of people underestimate that. I'm also a sucker for a good dunk. I posted some tweets, uh, some videos of it. I mean, he was getting off the ground doing windmills. Probably could have done something a little bit bigger. But, I mean, the effort level for it was just minimal. And he was still getting off the ground at a good level. It was high vertical. Quick off the ground, too. I think that's an important thing. With size, though, you know, defensively, yeah, he's not going to be a great on-ball defender. Probably not even a good one. But he knows where to be. And I think something we've started to see in the NBA is if you are an intelligent defender and rotating and just being a good off-ball defender, that counts a little bit more now for than being an ISO defender one-on-one. Yeah, he's definitely an underrated athlete. I I just think that people are lazy. And when it's almost like, and I don't like always bringing up the race thing, white guy, non-athletic shooter. And then it's just lazy. And then if you see a guy that's athletic, people lazily assume that being a good athlete means that you are a really good defender. And I mean, Grady Dick was someone that honestly, I when I when I did like my latest mock, he was sliding. And then it's like, all right, I got to put him back up. Like you know, how, like when you do your mock, sometimes you just you just putting the names down. You're going off your field, and then you have to look at it over again and be like, okay, all right, I got to move him. Somebody has to move down. And I was, that was Grady Dick. I think I had him. I mean, I haven't published it yet. And it's, I mean, it'd be totally different by the times it comes, by the, when it comes out, I should say, but I had him down to like 14. And some people feel like that's a, a decent range, but I might need to move, move him up a little bit because the size is legit from what I've heard. I haven't seen him live. And then with with the shooting and his age, why not? Why, why, you know, he's a legitimate lottery pick for sure. But I I guess everybody's range is a little bit different. So this weekend or last weekend, I was in Salt Lake. I went to basketball without borders. It was it was awesome for me because I love the international scouting. I love that more than any other aspect of scouting. I like it more than college. I like it more than high school. And I like the fact that it's it's a challenge because you watch a guy and you have to decide, like, all right, could this guy play in the EYBL and hold his own? All right, if he played college basketball, could he star at a Power 5 school? And then it's like, could he be an NBA player? And I, I love trying to figure that out with international prospects because usually there's a pretty big gap between them and their peers. And at this event... I believe like the best international players weren't really international. They were guys that have ties to European countries, but they grew up in the States. But the guy that is interesting to me is uh, the guy that ESPN had ranked as the number one pick in the 2024 NBA draft. It is the, it is um, Bazoulis from, well, they say he's from Lithuania. 
<laughs> Matas Bazoulas, but he's from Illinois, and I think he grew up in Illinois. Before this year, he went to uh, I think Brewster Academy in New Hampshire, and now he's at Sunrise. He was to me the best player there. When I saw him, I was like, okay, this guy is good. I understand all the hype, but then today I saw ESPN had him as the number one pick in 2024. Now, I can't say that I have a lot of knowledge on the 2024 NBA draft class right now, but I do know based off of what I've seen that there is not a Victor Wimbayama. There's not a Paolo Bancaro or Chet Holmgren or Cade Cunningham, at least right now nobody has really separated themselves so i wanted to ask you based off of your knowledge in 2024 is there anybody that that really stands out to you in that class this doesn't have to be international right no just period i like ron holland uh i'm a sucker for the ball skills athleticism and size i think he's what 610 um so i I like him a lot 610 six nine something like that like he he's got the right size for a forward right i think he might be even less to six eight i've probably dramatized him i had every time i think of him he's like a you know an inch taller or something but i like him there's one other player who i am blown away with if you take away just the the age he's a little bit older than his peers and that's justin edwards i really like him i think he sticks six seven athlete can shoot I think he's going to stick just fine, but he's one of those guys where I think he's already going to be 20 by the time the college season starts. So, but that hasn't hurt like Brandon Miller. Yeah. That's an interesting <laughs> well, name, right? Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First name right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can say the same thing for the Thompson twins because they're also 20 years old, but yeah, at that uh, basketball out borders, I actually met the guy that was over overtime. So that was uh, very interesting. I had a chance to talk with him for a little bit. And uh, the competition was pretty good. Another guy that stood out to me was Elliot Cadeau, who's going to North Carolina. But he is born in Brooklyn. He's a, a New York, New York, New Jersey guy. He stood out. As far as the international prospects, um, Killian Mawaya is a guy that I've watched for a couple years. He is a really good athlete. But he, like last year when I watched him in years prior, you just saw that he was athlete. He was still a little raw. And he was kind of like a junkyard dog. Like he grabbed a lot of offensive rebounds, made hustle plays, and occasionally shot threes. But you know he he wasn't really a good shooter. And then when I watched him play this past weekend, he showed some guard skills. Um, they played him at the point. He was able to get to his spots on the floor. Still a phenomenal athlete, and he is someone that I think that if he can continue to add skill level to his just natural talent and ability then I think that he has a chance to to be in the NBA. But as far as like basketball out borders this year, some of the top players there are probably not necessarily the top players in, in Europe because some of the guys like Jurisic, he's playing for his team, Zachary Rieser-Share, uh, who's playing for Asdell in France. Those guys are, I mean, I guess their teams weren't going to to give them permission for this particular camp. But the guy that I really wanted to see and he didn't make it because he had visa issues was visa issues was Usman Njai. Have you had a chance to to like watch his film or anything like that? You know, he is somebody that's really interesting because he's playing on what Basconia B, I think. He reminds me of Ibu Baji in this for ways. They're not the same player, but that like super freak athlete that does crazy things on the court, but they're playing lower competition. And you're like, well, what does it mean? Because there's 
there's a play if you type in Mavstrap Uzman, like you will see, I posted it where he just pulls up in transition three over the defender and makes it. And it's like, this, this guy's massive. He's a freak athlete. Like, how is he doing this? And it's a wild thing. I, I would bet on him just for the fun tools. Like, I'd love to see him in the second round, honestly, if for nothing else, just to show his highlights on ESPN. Yeah, he's he's a good shooter, and he has the size. And, um, you know, it's just so tough over there because there's not developmental minutes for young guys, especially like Basconia. Basconia is playing in the ACB. For those that don't know, the ACB in, in Spain is the best domestic league in Europe and really in the world outside of the NBA. Just not a lot of developmental minutes. I mean, there's a guy, James Naji, who is – I think he's going to be a first-round pick, and he's barely playing. But, again, if you're young and you're playing in Europe, it's because you're better than the guy that's 26 or 27 years old. While in the NBA, we think more so long-term upside. So you see a guy that's 19 playing 25 minutes a game when he's not better than someone that's – older but at the end of the day the nba is more so about the the upside in the long term as opposed to winning right now but i would love somehow for the nba to get to that point i mean my dream scenario which i know will never happen is the worst records get demoted to the g league (laughs) it would totally change everything right (laughs) because now teams are like we got to win games as opposed to you know, the the tanking, which right now, you know, it's a lot different subject, but it is beneficial to tank. It's really hey, beneficial. Can you to imagine tank. an NBA team having to travel to Fort Wayne? Sioux Falls. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, Sioux Falls. <laughs> I'm just saying, sorry if you're from there listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> but think every game would be a playoff game. Yeah. Imagine in March and right now the Hornets and the Spurs and the Rockets are just fighting <laughs> <laughs> to stay in the NBA. Like if you lose, you lose your jet your private jet privileges. You gotta travel by bus. I mean, it, it would it'd almost be like the regular season, those last few games, but have NBA finals intensity. But teams lineups would definitely change. And some of these guys that are bought out would be on these rosters because those teams would need to win. But that's a whole different story. Well, thank you for sharing your your, your insight and about um, some of the players that you were able to scout live. And thank you, the listener, for making the Lockdown NBA Big Board your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen, you have to check out Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Lockdown Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Lockdown can deliver. So follow Game to Game on Lockdown NBA. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Once again, I'm Rafael Barlow with my co-host Richard Stamen, and we are out.